and thanks for listening to the Adulting is Easy podcast. This is Lauren, and I manage the Adulting is Easy blog and podcast, which can be found at realadultingiseasy.com and anywhere you listen to podcasts. Please hit follow if you would be so kind right now. And when you're done listening, go ahead and give this a rating. And if you're on Apple, a review as well. So today we have another space for you. This was recorded on April 6, 2022. It is Wealth Building Strategies. As a reminder, everybody on the panel are millionaires. We became millionaires in our 30s. Some of us are now in our 40s. So this is a really good group to learn from. There's a ton of actionable advice here, and I know you guys are just going to love it. So we're going to be sharing some actionable advice. What are three or four things that we recommend for people to do to become millionaires, right? So what I want you to think about, Lauren, is if you had to go back in time and start over, what are three or four things that you would focus on to grow your wealth? And then what we'll do after we've both shared and asked each other some questions, and Steve's probably joined us at that point and shared his view, is we'll open it up to the floor to see what people, uh, what's holding them up and how we can help them achieve what we've achieved. And so people that are in the audience uh, up in the nest, uh, there's a thread announcing this space. Please do share that because the more people we have in the room, the livelier the conversation will be when we get to the Q&A and the more we're all going to learn from the questions that are getting asked. So Lauren, do you want to do you want to go first or would you like me to go first and to get to give you some time to think about your responses? What's your preference? Yeah, go ahead, Clint. I will follow you. Okay, sure. So if it's me and I'm, I'm going back in time and I'm redoing this, I would say there are three or four legs of the stool that I would really focus in on. The first thing that I would do is very consistent with what I did last time is heavily invest in yourself, right? So when you think about what investment you can make that will generate the greatest return for you, it will almost always be investing in yourself. And so what does that look like? That looks like reading books, going to school, taking courses, watching YouTube videos, signing up for a coach, signing up for consultants, things that allow you to learn faster than the average person. So that's, that's the first one. Invest in yourself. And as part of that, Try to focus on rare skills. A lot of people tell you to focus on in-demand skills. In-demand skills are good, except for the fact that because of arbitrage, they will only be in demand for a period of time. So if, if you think about supply and demand, if something's in demand today, that means there aren't enough people doing it. And so it's going to pay above average. The problem is that when that happens, more people flock to that area, get trained in it, and the wages go down. So in-demand skills today may not be in-demand skills tomorrow. So what I would suggest instead is to focus on rare skills. So rare skills, for those who haven't heard me talk about this one before, rare skills tend to be where the intersection of multiple skill sets. So for example, if you are a finance person and then you become good at sales, 
and good at public speaking and good at writing. You know, I'm using Lauren as my example here. You're building out skill sets that when combined, the average person doesn't have. And so that will always allow you to command more value than you would if you just focused on in-demand skills. So for me, investing in yourself and focusing on rare skills, number one. Number two is that we would say um, that you need to be in the right room and outwork the people in the room. So pick your circle and make sure you're surrounding yourself with people that will push you to be your best, people that will push you to be better than you already are. And if I look at my situation, the people that I'm closest to today, the four or five people that are my close friends, we've been friends for 23 years. And each of the people in that circle is financially in the spot I'm in or better. And so finding those people, gosh, I would have been 20 years old when we became friends, right? 22 years, sorry, I was 21. I just finished university and was starting work. So we've been friends from the time we started our jobs right out of college. And we've all pushed each other, challenged each other, supported each other to be better. So finding that right circle, always putting yourself in the room with people who will make you better. If you want to be fitter, get in a room with people who will make you more fit. If you want to be wealthier, surround yourself with people who are wealthy. Spend time with them, learn from them, grow with them. And, you know, you want to grow on Twitter? Spend time with people who are growing on Twitter. I spend a lot of my time with Steve, who's just joined us uh, from his other uh, space. I spend a lot of time with Lauren, and we grow together. So, Steve, what we're doing is we're each just going to recap three or four things that if we had to go back and start over, what would we focus on to get back to where we are financially? So Lauren, Steve, and I uh, each are self-made millionaires. And what we're going to do, Steve, give everyone three or four actionable pieces of advice each. Uh, then we'll, we'll fire some questions at each other, and then we'll open it up for Q&A. So, Steve, two that I've shared so far, one – Invest in yourself, focusing on rare skills, pointing out that in-demand skills are in-demand for a period of time until you have arbitrage and enough people go into that field so that the value drops down. The second one, make sure you're in the right room, you're surrounding yourself with the right people, and that you're outworking uh, the people in the room. So I often refer to this as having a blue-collar work ethic even when you're in a white-collar job and making sure that at the end of the day, you're working harder than the people that you're surrounding yourself with. If you want to get ahead, then you have to do more than the average person. And then the last one that I'll share before handing it over to Lauren uh, or taking any questions from Lauren and, Lauren and Steven to refine what I'm sharing. The last one that I would say is, is super important for me. It's probably the number one is you have to think differently than the average person. And so if only 1% of people are millionaires, then you can't do what the average person does, right? 
And if you're saving more than you, or you're, you're saving and investing more than you make, and you're putting it into index funds, you're already ahead of the average. And if you do that with enough money for a long enough period of time, you will be a millionaire. But part of what I think Lauren and Steve and I are trying to get across to you is how do you become a millionaire by 30? How do you become a millionaire by 35, by 40, right? How do you do it much quicker than the average person? And that, unless you're making boatloads of money, saving most of it and putting it into index funds, it's very hard to get there through index fund investing. Steve, Lauren, you may have a different view when it comes to your turn, but, but that's generally uh, my take on it. That said, I believe that for 90% of people, index investing is probably the right way to go. Because to do different than index investing requires an alternative view. And generally, you should only do an alternative view if you've done your homework and you do the work and you have an asymmetrical advantage or asymmetrical information relative to the average person. So what, what might that look like? For me personally, I've been working in real estate for the last 13 years, uh, the last five or six years as a, as a CFO. So I think in my market, I have an informational advantage over the average person when it comes to real estate investing based on the experience I've picked up over the last 13 years. So I am comfortable putting 90% of my net worth and 200% of my asset base into real estate because I understand it to a much higher degree than the average person. If you have an area in your life, whether it's through your job, through your field, through your circle, through the research that you do, where you have an asymmetrical advantage relative to the average person, and you've taken an alternative view, you're convicted in that view, and you take action on it and you go deep, if you are successful, you will generally far outperform the average person. Of course, there's risk to that because if if you take a view, you're convicted and you go all in and you're wrong, well, then you've wiped out the house, right? So there has to be a certain amount of safety and a certain amount of thinking that goes into it so that you're making safe, risk-respectful investments. But that would be it for me. Invest in yourself, focusing on rare skills. Get yourself in the right room with the right people and outwork everybody in that room and learn as much as you can from those people, and then take an alternative view. Be convicted in that view and go deep on it. Uh, Lauren, Steve, any questions, or do we pass it on to Lauren for her top three? Clint, that was very succinct. And I love what you said about rare skills versus in-demand skills. You're exactly right. As soon as you start reading about certain skills being in demand in a market equilibrium, theoretically, the labor market should start to meet those meet those demands and then the demand for them automatically goes down. So it makes, makes a lot of sense and absolutely love that. I was going to kind of take two different tacks with, with your question. And one is literal tactics for becoming a millionaire. If you're starting out, there are some tactical things that you should do. And I'll talk about those first. And then I'll talk about kind of a general mindset or a philosophy about becoming a millionaire. 
from having that that goal and that mindset thinking that way. So first for the tactics, number one is keep your expenses low, especially when you're young, because of compounding, you know, and the and the the power and how much money is really worth that you're making in your 20s versus what you're making in your 60s. If you keep your expenses low when you're young, I think that's the best thing that you can do. I love the idea of buying a place to live and having roommates, charging them rent and keeping overall how much you are spending on a monthly basis low. That will free up enough money for you to save more and invest more over time. On the flip side of that, you should maximize your revenue as well. And that is kind of a broad thing to say. You could do it by doing what I did, which was I got into sales. I got into a commission and bonus based job because I made a bet on myself. I knew that every group project I ever had done in my whole life, I was the one doing the most work, but I was not getting the most credit. <laughs> and something that's pretty cool about sales is it allows you to kind of get the credit for the hard work and the proficiency that you have. So you can max revenue that way. Another way is within your field, learn, get mentors, read books, listen to podcasts, attend webinars, and build your skills within your field so that within your field, you max as much money as you can possibly make. So that's the expense side and the, you know, the top line side. And then obviously you need to be, as that gap grows, you need to be investing that difference. Obviously you need to have an emergency fund. How much that needs to be, in my opinion, really depends on your, how risk averse you are. Some people are comfortable with, you know, a couple thousand dollars. Some people need six months expenses, whatever that is for you. And then invest, right? Invest in index funds like VTI, for example, or invest in real estate or both right? The more you grow the difference between your revenue and your expenses, the more you can invest, right? I started with kind of the stocks, right? The, you know, the retirement accounts, maxing the match in my 401k, then maxing my 401k, and then really getting into real estate once all of that baseline was really set. So those are the tactics to becoming a millionaire that I see. Steve, Clint, any questions before I talk kind of on the mindset side of things? Yeah, the so other than, you know, getting into sales and taking a bet on yourself, what are what are some little things that people can do that are listening to us to maximize their revenue, right? Like what if someone says, "Oh, I'm an introverted, I can't I can't sell." What are, what are you going to throw at them as a as two or three actionable things they can do to maximize that revenue? Well, everyone to some extent, I think, can sell whether they want to, whether they want to carry a bag and a quota and go out there and knock on doors, right, is one thing. But you at least need to be able to in some way sell yourself. And that may just be as simple as every performance review cycle, selling yourself to your boss, right? Get that raise, maximize what your salary is. Other things you can do great for introverts, start a side hustle, right? Maximize how much money you are making on the side. Our friend Tom, who's not here tonight, has been flipping items, small items on eBay for 18 years and has bought literal real estate with the money that he has made from flipping items like makeup, nail polish, oh, bras, right. things like that. Yeah, there you go. The bras, bras, bras. bras. <laughs> 
I knew you were going to say it. Um, so he's been he's been flipping things for almost two decades to the point where he has a ton of side hustle income. I don't think he really talks about how much it is, but it's as much as some people make in their jobs. Tom has side hustle income, right? So those are some things that I that I think that people can do, Clint, to maximize what they're making. Love it. Very actionable. Thank you. Steve, any questions for Lauren before she jumps on the mindset? Lauren, I, I want you to dig more into the sales. I think it's such a underappreciated skill, and so many of us don't know how to do it, and there's so much potential there. So for someone who is in sales yourself, what can we do to be better at sales? So there used to be this idea of the product was the value proposition, right? You sold things based on was your stuff better than the other company's stuff that they were selling? And that could be products, that could be services, right? You're talking about features and benefits. Our car has adaptive cruise control and, and, and this car doesn't, right? You kind of used to sell based on what the features of the product were. Especially in business to business sales, as time has gone on, the salesperson becomes more of the value proposition. And how are they handling the sale? So something that I am always thinking, and also too, the type of salesperson that used to be successful in that that the features and benefits world was a different kind of person than is successful now. That person was gregarious. That person was probably an extrovert. That person had a ton of confidence. And that person was about the relationships, right? Smoozing and things like that. The type of salesperson that is actually successful today in complicated business to business sales is a little bit different. And they're not kind of this overly optimistic person. The successful salespeople that I see, they kind of keep their emotions in the middle, no matter how, no matter how good or how bad things are going. They could win a sale, celebrate for kind of a minute, and then bring it back down. Lose a sale, kind of be bummed for a second, do a post-mortem on why they lost, and then get back to kind of being emotionally in the middle. And the reason for that is, and why those people are successful, is as you're working a sales deal, you're always wondering, why might this go south? And then you are hedging against why that would be. Something else that if you have this kind of neutral mindset, you also do a better job of what I call mapping the deal, right? Who are the decision makers? Who are the decision supporters, right? And again, is there anything as I'm mapping this deal that might cause it to go south and then hedging against it? So there's a lot of kind of proactive thinking and planning that has to go on now. And that's kind of an organized, little more type A person, perhaps, than there used to be that was successful in sales that could kind of just make a bunch of people like them and make a lot of sales. Yeah, I love it. I just I, I love your points on sales. And I think it's, uh, it's a skill set that I lack and I'm learning the value of it. Yeah, I have to get better at it. And uh, it, it, it's not just for making money and selling a product. It, I think it also helps with relationships and social skills and just interacting with people as well, too. It's not so much I'm trying to sell you a product. I'm trying to sell you an idea. I'm trying to relate with you. I'm trying to motivate you to see things maybe in the way that I see them, too. And I uh, just... Anyone who has ideas on sales and persuasion, Clint, you're a master of this. Lauren, you do it as a profession. And so I just, whenever I get a chance, I want to pick you guys' brains and learn from you. 
Yeah, absolutely. And what you're talking about there is empathy. Nothing in, has increased my empathy more than being in sales and putting myself in the position of the person across the metaphorical table from me, right? Obviously, everything used to be done in person pre-COVID, right? But now on the other side of the phone, what is this person thinking? What are they feeling? What do they want from a business perspective? And what do they want from a personal perspective? And you, in sales, you are always putting yourself in that position. And it does. It does relate to other parts of my life as well, because I am always, always thinking about what is this person thinking and feeling right now? Because that's, that's my job. And I've been doing it for eight years. Yeah. And that's what I love about Twitter as a platform is you get to share an idea or a product, maybe if that's what you have, and you get a democratic review of it in real time. And you get to see if people agree with it or don't agree with it. You get to see if it works or it doesn't work. And it's an incredible social media platform. I love it just from that point of view. And so that has made me want to get better at uh, selling an idea or selling a viewpoint and stuff like that. I, I, you know, I have, I don't have five, two products that I sell. Uh, <laughs> I'm just not very good at it, but uh, you know, I'm getting better at it slowly, but surely and stuff. But um, I love the refinement that comes through uh, learning how to do this better at it. I was born uh, or raised by a soldier and a teacher, um, very academically oriented and, you know, go to university go get a job. COVID really hit me hard. And uh, it's been an interesting experience for the last two years to try and see how I can make ends meet and try and get better in certain ways and stuff. And so um, sales and online social media has been a terrific experience. And so I just love picking you guys' brain. Well, yeah, and you're selling yourself short. I mean, if you're in business for yourself and you're able to, to support yourself and your family and, you know, then you're, you're doing okay. Absolutely. Yeah, no, th thanks, Lauren. I appreciate that. Like, um... uh, Lauren is going to dive into mindset for the new people in the room. Some of what we've heard so far is invest in yourself, focusing on rare skills instead of in-demand skills, surround yourself with the right people, and then be the hardest worker in the, in the room, a blue-collar work ethic in a white-collar job, and take an alternative view than other people and invest differently. If you invest with the crowd, you're going to get the same returns as the crowd. Lauren delivered some tactical skills. Keep your expenses low, especially when you're young. Maxim maximize your revenue. Take a bet on yourself. She talked about sales. Uh, she talked about getting mentors and learning within your field, books, podcasts. Um, and or starting a side hustle uh, and investing the returns. And she also talked about the importance of having an emergency fund. And once that was in place, invest, invest, invest. And now Lauren's going to share some uh, mindset recommendations for millionaires. Then Steve's going to share some actionable advice. And then we're going to open it up to you and have a conversation about how you can become a millionaire in your life. Over to you again, Lauren. Okay, thanks. And this this will be really quick. And there's really three steps to, I think, my mindset, my husband's mindset, certainly Clint and Steven and other people that I know who are successful. And they do kind of three things. They learn about something 
and then they start doing it and then they keep doing it consistently. So for example, when I was getting into sales, I read a bunch of books about it, right? Then I started doing it and then I just kept learning and kept growing and stayed consistent with sales and really committed to it. That works with real estate as well. When I started deciding that I wanted to grow my real estate portfolio, I read a bunch of books, uh, you know, Bigger Pockets podcast, met with other investors and really talked to people and spent some time learning. Then I started, right? Even though I was scared because real estate can be a scary thing. There's a lot of horror stories out there. And then even before it really paid off specifically, right? Right before I could really see a ton of dividends, quote unquote, cash flow being paid or appreciation occurring, I kind of kept at it and kept doing it. And these are things that I have noticed people like, it's almost like you have to have faith that you are a competent, confident person and that you are going to be able to do the things that you start doing as long as you are consistent and you show up every day. And Clint, you talked about this recently on one of your threads, showing up. And being consistent is something that will put you ahead of a lot of average performers, for sure, whether that's sales, real estate, or, or life. The, uh, I'm just going to emphasize that point. Showing up and being consistent is going to get you ahead at everything in life, whether it's your fitness, whether it's your wealth, whether it's growing on Twitter. When you show up, Every single day, you learn, you do the work, and you're consistent. Like you just said, you will succeed at anything. I wrote those three points down. Learn, take action, be consistent. And I've seen that same thing in, in a lot of the people that are on this stage. In Tom, who's not here tonight, he, he's at a uh, musical. And we all take that same approach. So, Steve, we've stolen seven or eight great nuggets for people. So you're, you're two or three that you're going to share. You got to go deep into the bag of tricks of <laughs> Steven, of Steven. And, and, you know, you can't just say, you can't just say all. mine Ethereum. I mean, it's got to be something oh, yeah. everyone can do, buddy. Yeah, no, I love it. And I love everything you've shared so far. Uh, totally agree with everything you guys have said. All right. Let me try and do four things. And I'll try and be quick on them. One thing that I do yields great returns, and I, I almost never tweet about it because it has zero engagement. Nobody wants to even talk about it, is tax planning and tax strategy. So from the start, I've always tried to reduce my tax bill as much as I can. And a key component of that has been to be self-employed. So I've worked for myself since 2007. I haven't been a W-2 or a T-4 employee since 2007. T-4 employees, what we have here in Canada. So being self-employed is more risky. I have to do my own benefits. I don't get paid vacation. I have to find my own clients. I have to write contracts. There's more paperwork. I have to do the taxes itself is more complicated, but the tax rates are substantially lower. That gives me, call it between ten and twenty thousand dollars, depending on the tax laws and how operations went. Ten to twenty thousand dollars more per year 
that I can invest. And because I've done it for so long and compounded it, it allows me to build wealth faster than the normal person. This does go a little bit along with what Clint was saying earlier with uh, doing things differently than other people. Be that 1%, do it, you know, zig when they're zagging sort of thing. So tax planning and being self-employed has been a complete game changer for me. And doing it repeatedly over time has uh, yielded tremendous results. Uh, consistent investing as well. I have a tweet tomorrow coming out that talks about my very first investment that I ever did. It was for $142 back in 2003. It would have been in the fall of 2003. Every single paycheck, every single invoice that I got from a client, I've always taken a portion of that and invested it. The FIRE movement will always say 25 to 50%. Unfortunately, I just, I've never been able to get into that 20, 30, 40, 50% range. I had a family really early in my life. And so I just, it's tough when you got kids and mouths and a house and everything. And so, but being consistent over that long period of time yielded incredible results or at least results that I'm, that I'm proud of. Uh, I think I'm at about 17% savings rate right now. So consistent, every single time I got paid, I put a little bit of money into uh, an index or a mutual fund at one point, and then I switched and you know saw the error in my ways and switched that out as quick as I could. But that consistent investing has been, been huge for me. Uh, last part there, and it goes a little bit back to the mindset that Clint and Lauren were talking about is just being tenacious, consistent, showing up. I'm one of those guys that I get the dog in uh, the the bone in my mouth and just can't let go of it. You know what I mean? So I just I always want to just keep on being consistent and staying after my goal. I can take market volatility. I can take a hit. Uh, I shared a thread a while back about what happened to me during COVID in 2020. That was probably the hardest time of my life. Uh, brought me to my knees, but um, didn't give up. Stuck through it, took a calculated bet, borrowed against my house, put it into the stock market, and had a tremendous return come out of that, as you could probably imagine, just with things spiking up. And got heavy into Ethereum mining as well, too, because I had so much time off without having to, to work. And so just that ten tenacity to... Uh, this is my goal, and I'm not allowed to give up. I can't give up. I want financial freedom. I want to get out of the 9 to 5. I'll do what it takes. And so those are mine that I would leave is just, so let's go over it again, tax planning, being self-employed, if that's a possibility for you, because there's a lot of tax advantages that come with that, being consistent with your investing, and lastly, being tenacious with your goal so you define what that goal is you get after it and do not give up on it because when you get close to it and you achieve it it feels so good so steve i really want to zone in on um, a couple of things there and open it up to lauren to also uh, pick your brain on it because you know the tax one like i've uh, i've been wanting to get to that self-employed for a period of time. I think between 
the difference in tax rate between what I pay now and what I'd pay if I was doing the same thing self-employed, it's about a hundred thousand dollars a year. Right? That's a lot of that's a lot of money that I, I could be investing and growing. So that's a huge one. I I love that you say that. The and then you said be tenacious with your goals. Let's take a step back, Steve. You have goals. Right? How many people who are listening tonight have goals? And so it's not only being tenacious with them. I mean, step one is have goals, personal goals, professional goals, financial goals. Step two is being tenacious. Would you break that out into two or am I being, am I being too pessimistic and thinking no, that the average person sure. doesn't have goals? No, for sure. You got you, 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 <laughs> yeah. As soon as you said that, I was like, wow, you like totally zinged me. You got it. Right. You have to have a goal first. Um, it's been so ingrained and self-evident with me that uh, I completely overlooked it, that I would just be tenacious with what I want. And so, yeah, for sure. You have to first know what you want. And I would add on to that too, that it needs to be something that you truly want, that you want that goal. And, and I know like, that sounds like, well, of course it is. No, well, a lot of times parents and other organizations in your life, and I don't want to get too specific there, but other people and other organizations will want you to have a particular goal. And when you agree to that goal, now they get to tell you what to do. And I, I have a real exception with that. I really have a problem with that. And nope, I get to define the goal. I get to define what I truly want to have and what I'm going to work my, my tail off for. And so terrific point Clint 100% agree with you we first need that goal that comes first and I would just layer on a little bit more just with it has to be something that you really want deep in your soul because uh, that's there's going to be trying times ahead it's going to be you know say you have a particular financial goal there's going to be a tough time an emergency fund market crashes uh, you can't make ends meet or there's a difficulty and but when it's you really want it, you'll find a way to connect and bridge across and make the next step and stuff. But when somebody else told you what it is, uh, you'll, you'll lack the conviction when it becomes tough. And so just want to add that to it, but perfect, perfect point, Clint. I totally agree. Love it, brother. Lauren, you got your hand up, fire away. So something also that I really believe in is momentum and so some things I think you don't necessarily, you can have a goal, of course, right? But sometimes it's like, just keep doing things, keep trying things, keep experimenting, keep, keep learning. And you can kind of have goals and change them along the way a little bit, right? Maybe you make them higher, maybe you make them more realistic or whatever they are. But, you know, when I write my blog, you know, twice a month or do the podcast or edit these and have networking conversations and meet people. Sometimes I have no particular goal in mind, but it's just this idea of momentum and continuing to meet people and continuing to move forward and to learn. And I think naturally good things happen when you do that. Yeah, Lauren, I know you, you, you're like me. You love things that when you, when you hear them, you file them away and say, Oh, I'm going to use that one over and over. And one of, one of the guests on the podcast, the way he described that, 
was directional, but not definite, right? Or directional, but not defined. So I know where I'm going. I know the general direction of where I want to go for my goal, right? I have a long away goalpost, but I don't have to take an exact route to get there. There's going to be some weaving. There's going to be some turning. I might go left. I might zig. I might zag. But I know where I'm going, roughly, right? So I. So can you? Yeah. So you know me pretty good. I mean, we've been. Yeah. For about a year, I would say, right? Like it's coming. It's coming up a year for sure. Yeah. 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 So give me some feedback then. Would you say that I'm too directional and too focused on where I want to go and too defined in how I get there? Am I too opposite of what you're saying? No, I don't think so, because I, I, I think I'm very much like you, right? In that, you know, I have a 10-year goal, and, and I, you know, I, I have that 10-year goal, or now I guess it's a five-year goal. It was 10. And every once in a while, I, I rip it out, and I say, hey, what, what can I be doing against this goal? What And it's hard, Steve, because I don't see what you're doing every day, right? You and I talk regularly, but I don't know if you, like, leave, leave our call and then go to the whiteboard and you're, like, putting a check mark beside that day and saying, tomorrow I have to do X, right? I don't know how robotic you're being about it, my friend. The, yeah, no, I'm not that robotic. No, no. Yeah, no, and, I, and, uh, yeah, yeah no. and, and I've never heard you approach it that way. And I don't think there's a – I don't think it's even wrong if you do. I think I'm just, you know, I'm a little bit like Lauren saying where I have that five-year goal and I know what I need to be doing to act against it, but I might only look at it once a month. Like yesterday I was at work, I just paused my day and I rewrote my roadmap by hand, right? I wrote the six categories I'm focused on over the next five years and said, what are three or four things I can do this weekend in each category or over the next week to move this category forward? Or what are three or four things I can do over the next three months to move this category forward and created a plan. But I hadn't looked at that since the first week of January, right? It doesn't mean I wasn't going in that direction because everything I do on a daily basis is going in that direction, but it, it's just not a hundred percent defined if that makes sense, right? Like I might pause on one and focus on another, but ultimately they're all going in a direction and I'm going to, I'm going to end up in that spot December 31st, 2025. I've heard of this concept as being having a compass versus a map, right? So you know what direction you're going, but not the turns of how exactly to get there. Lauren, I'm writing that one down. Like that is beautiful. Compass versus a map. Okay. So Lauren, you got to complete that then. I love it. How does that relate with the GPS system in my car? <laughs> so, Stephen, the GPS has a map. That's that's a that's called a map, right? There used to be physical maps. I don't know if you're old enough for that. Or not. <laughs> I'm probably too old. Uh... The, so, we're about to open it up to everyone. I'll just give a recap for everybody of what we've discussed so far for people who are new. I'll also ask you, please, up in the nest, there is a tweet that talks about this space. Please share that. 
we'll have more and more people come in the room. So we'll have a more lively Q&A and, and conversation, which we'll all learn from. What we're trying to learn tonight is actionable advice to help you become a millionaire. And each of Steve, Lauren, and I have been blessed enough to reach that at various stages in our life, uh, Lauren being the earliest. Lauren, were you were you uh, younger than thirty when you reached it, or early thirties? I was thirty-one. My husband was twenty-eight. Yes, uh, I always forget the cradle robber that you are. Love it, uh, Steve. What age were you when you first hit? Thirty-nine, and I've 30, been a millionaire twice. Thirty-nine uh, went down and then skyrocketed yeah. back up with Ethereum. Yeah. The and. The for me it was 35 for the for first million and then by 37 uh, we hit our second and it's been uh, and I'm 43 now and it's been going well since so um, it's been a good spot to be. The what we've shared so far, I shared that if I were starting over because that's what you want to know right if 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 you're new on this journey what do you need to do and so I said I would invest heavily in myself. Lauren echoed that a little by saying she's placed bets on herself, right? So I, I would invest in myself uh, and I would focus on learning rare skills, which is generally the intersection of multiple skill sets. The, I would then make sure I surrounded myself with the right people and that I was the hardest worker in the room. And the last thing I shared was having an alternative view to other people. So if you look, Lauren's made her money in real estate. I've made my money in real estate. Steven's made his money in uh, stocks and Ethereum. But where he's made a majority of that money the second time becoming a millionaire is literally taking a mortgage out on his house uh, March of 2020 when the market had tanked and putting it all in, right? So uh, people were running scared. Steven put his money into the middle. So that's an alternative view. Lauren then shared both tactical advice and mindset advice. So what Lauren shared was keep your expenses low, especially when you're young, maximize your revenue, take bets on yourself so that with, you know, if it's within a specific field, then you're seeking to learn, read podcasts, courses, uh, very similar, Lauren, I'd say to my invest in yourself. And then she added, you know, even start side hustles. She referenced Tom, who's uh, joined us from the show he was at tonight. And so she, she referenced starting side hustles and investing your returns. And then she said from a mindset, and I underlined and bolded and circled this one. She said from a mindset, she sees a commonality in most of the people she knows that have become millionaires. They learn, they take action, and they're consistent. Learn action consistency. Uh, we then jumped over to Steve. Steve shared a bunch of wonderful nuggets. A lot of people don't think about tax planning and tax strategy. But I pointed out if, if I were doing what Steve does, I'd have an extra $100,000 a year that I could invest. So tax planning, tax strategy, huge. If you can be self-employed, it's a little bit harder. Uh, and there's a bit more stress that goes with it. But your tax opportunities are much stronger. Uh, Stephen also said, have goals and be tenacious with those goals. So you are driving towards the end program. 
and uh, focused on mindset, right? One of the things that we didn't emphasize, but Steve pointed out, is making sure that your personality matches your investment type. So Steve's been invested in some things that have had high risk. Steve's taken a mortgage on his house when the market was at the bottom and put it back in. So if you know you're a risk-averse person, don't invest in Bitcoin. If you're a risk a person who has a high risk tolerance, maybe you do invest in Bitcoin, right? Do your research. We're not giving out specific investment advice that we'll later get sued on. Uh, so do your research, but match it to your risk tolerance. And then we talked about with that goal setting, Lauren just added a beautiful piece to it. She said, have the momentum, keep moving forward. And we talked about directional, but not defined with your goals or having a compass uh, versus a map. So you know what your true north is and you're consistently marching in that direction and you will get there. We were about to open it up to the floor, but I do, uh, our co-host Tom joined us late. Tom, uh, you just heard roughly what some of us shared. Can you throw at us, you're starting over, what are the top two things that you would focus on to become a millionaire again? In what age were you, Tom, when you first became a millionaire? Uh, thank you, Clint, for letting me share. I hit millionaire status at 31. I'm 39 now. I just left my nine to five this year. I hit millionaire status on an average salary. I started at $32,000 a year. And by the time I hit it, I was in the mid 50s. And by the time I left, I was in the 80s. Um, and again, I left in January of this year. So I hit millionaire at 31. And I built it not through my nine to five, but through my side hustles, um, which were eBay, flipping merchandise, flipping pallets, flipping, I mean, pretty much anything you could think of from makeup to bras. And then I really, really escalated my wealth growth through real estate. So if I'm starting all over again, I'm starting exact, I get this question all the time. I'm going to go ahead and just start the same exact way that I did. And I'm going to house hack. When I was 21, I bought my first piece of real estate. It was a $90,000 property. I put $10,000 down when I bought it. I lived in the upstairs. I rented out the downstairs. She paid $600 a month in rent. And I had a $738 house payment. So I was living for $138 a month. And I don't know anywhere you can live for $138 a month. Um, I realize now if I bought that property or a similar property, it's not going to be $90,000. But the rent is going to be a lot more than $600. I have friends that are going through with a property around the corner from that one right now. They're under contract for $120,000. And they're going to live upstairs. They're going to rent out the downstairs. And, and their house payment is going to be are covered by that tenant. I would start over the same exact way that I started, which is just going slowly and at a pace that I'm comfortable with. I, I do want to share a couple things tonight, just kind of as a check-in since I didn't get to, I wasn't here at the beginning. Um, is that okay? Yeah, fire away. Okay. Well, I'm going to do a real quick one then. I'm struggling with where enough is enough is 2 million enough is 3 million enough is 4 million enough and everyone on twitter has me stressing over i i have a primary residence that i'm about to leave behind it'll be done next friday so about a week from now um and it will put about 2 to 250 possibly 300,000 into my pocket i also have a wholesaler who has bought a ton of merchandise from me on ebay over the past few years and they've finally came to the table with a um 
with a really solid offer to buy all of my inventory because they've been doing it slowly. Last year alone, they bought $9,000 worth of product from me. So they brought a really solid offer and they want to do that in May. So with these two kind of endeavors brewing, I uh, put a property under contract today um, that I will hopefully close on by the beginning of May. So that'll put me at 19 doors, but I'll lose a door. So maybe 18 doors. We'll see how that plays out. I just... I, I'm excited with the opportunities because if if this eBay business gets gets bought out and I sell another property to build wealth, it, it just opens so many doors and so many different opportunities. And that's really, you know, you have to take chances. And yes, it's a big chance to to sell my eBay business or to sell this multifamily, but that's really how I was able to, you know, hit millionaire status at 31 and continue to grow it. And I mean, just the growth that I've done through 2020 and 2021 has been staggering. And when I look at the numbers, it's it's um, awesome. So thank you for letting me share. I just wanted to check that in with everybody. It's a great problem to have, brother. And, and why does enough ever have to be enough? Why does there have to be an end, right? I mean, as long as you're happy, you're having fun, you're growing, you're not harming anyone, you're not I think contributing to any negative because you're renting those homes out. So people have a place to live. It's not like you're buying and, and leaving them empty so that values go up because there's lower supply. So, you know, I'd say enough is enough when you decide enough is enough. It's the, so important. It's so, yeah. I'm sorry to speak over you. It's so important to not give up everything. Cause I see so many people in this personal finance space that love to, you know, not do this and not drink coffee and not do anything. And, a balance is so important. And now that I don't have a nine to five crippling me, it's so important to take time to enjoy what you've built up and live off of your rents and and grow in a way that you haven't been able to before. And that's just been a, a new, since leaving the, the nine to five behind, it's been a, a new adventure that I really am enjoying so far. And I'm about, uh, tomorrow is my 90 day out. So I have not had a, Nine to five for 90 days now. Love it. The, yeah, so I'd say just keep going as long as you're having fun, brother. And so what we're going to do now is we're going to open up stage. So if you have questions, you have thoughts on your journey and you'd like to ask us, you'd like to pick our brain on some of the things we've been talking about tonight. Throw your hand up, come on up. Let's have a conversation on how you can grow your financial wealth, uh, how we can help you on that journey. And let's see if we can get more people down the road being able to have this same conversation with other people. So uh, request the mic and we'll bring you on up. While we're waiting, I would love to ask Tom a question. Yeah. Um, you're retired in terms of not your nine to five anymore. What 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 is... What do you do primarily with your time now? I only ask that because um, I've seen other people retire and have problems finding purpose and staying active. So I'm, I'm curious, what do you do with most of your time? I have an amazing gym routine. Yesterday I had jury duty. I mean, it, it's wild that I don't have a nine to five. And when I'm doing things, I'm always like, how was I doing this before? Because now that the nine to five is gone, I'm just busy with other things. I went to two rental properties. I made sure that rent got deposited. I updated my spreadsheet today. So it was kind of 
one of those nonstop days. And just now when I logged on, I looked at my watch and I've done 21,000 steps and I went to the gym and I finished, you know, I went over and met a contractor and we bought flooring. So it's been one thing after another. So I really, I, I stay busy. I, I fill up my calendar with things that are meaningful to me. This past Sunday, we just, my partner and I took a night to just go to the casino, not for any reason at all. It's an hour away from Dallas. We drove up to Oklahoma. So, and my, my months are filling up. I've got May pretty much booked with, I did a podcast recording and, and those types of things. So I stay busy um, and I, I'm getting this property under contract. So I'm always what's next, what's next, what's next. And I have my financing in a row for that. And I have a financing in a row for the next property that I find after that. So it's just, um, you know, and then when I have downtime, I'll go in and I'll schedule tweets. When I have downtime, I'll go in and respond to people. Um, it's crazy as the account grows. And I told this to Lauren, Clint, and Stephen this past weekend, how much it, it's great because you get lots of interaction, but then you get so many trolls in your DMs and Steven's probably the king of the trolls here in this room. Um, but I, I stay busy. And and for the past 90 days, it hasn't really felt like I'm not working a nine to five. I just, you know, right uh, before we went to the musical, I shipped out three eBay packages. So it, 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 the time gets filled. Tom, I love that you said, I fill my calendar with things that are important to me. I love it. Because so much of my nine to five is being filled with things that are important for other people. And not that we shouldn't be doing some stuff for some other people, for sure. But I love it how in your life, with the power that you have, with the financial freedom that you have, is that you fill your calendar with things that are important to you. I just love that and just want to emphasize that and uh, love it, man. That's awesome. Yeah, Lauren, fire away. Well, I've been looking forward to, Tom, when I'm in your shoes, is like I always work out during the day. And so I'm always looking at my calendar to see what my business meetings are for my job. And I plan my workouts very specifically. And sometimes I'll be like hustling to get back. I'll be like, okay, if I put my sunscreen on before this meeting and I get on my bike at this time, I can drive, I can go this far and come back. And then I'll get back and that meeting will be canceled. And I'll be like, gosh dang it, I can't wait till I don't have to do that anymore. <laughs> it's so frustrating. Hold on. Hold on. Your sunscreen? You have to put sunscreen on to go work out? This is Florida, Steven. We have sun. <laughs> yes, I put sunscreen on every day. Yeah, yeah. You gotta get, you gotta get, you gotta get off the frozen tundra, Steve. <laughs> the, uh... <laughs> it's not the same as your dog sled that you have where I, where you live. The... Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, it's what oh, a lot of Americans yeah. think of Calgary, right? Yeah. The yeah. Uh, Zach, you were first up. Questions, yep. thoughts. What do you have to throw at us, my friend? So I jumped in a little late. First, I want to say thank you all for having the space. But um, I wanted to kind of focus a little bit on the goal setting part. And I think Lauren brought up a really good point about the compass idea versus what was it? A compass in the map. But um, I think what I struggle with when it comes to goal setting is that I don't necessarily know, like, what's a good time frame. And I feel like sometimes I set a goal for myself that should be like a six month type of goal versus a five year or 10 year. So I think 
is it like an idea? I think one book that I've read called like Vivid Vision, and it said you want to set a three to five year goal and anything more than that is it is too far, but too close is like you short sighting yourself. So maybe you can give me maybe some more direction or um, some advice on how to set that time frame for potential goals. Yeah, I'll, I'll I'll dive into this one, and then and then we'll probably have more people speak. And and for people who want to come up and ask questions, like we've talked a fair bit about mindset and tactics, but we also have a fair amount of experience with real estate, crypto, flipping. So if there's different things, you know, growing your career. So if there's different things people want to ask on their on their wealth journey, feel free to come up and ask. So Zach, where where I would tend to look at that is to have long-term strategic goals and short-term tactical goals, right? So if you, if you look at seven habits of highly effective people, what Stephen Covey will talk about is beginning with the end in mind. So if you're, if you're thinking about your vision book that you read, it's saying, hey, three to five years out, right? And so that's your where do I want to get to? So when Lauren and I talked about the direction, but not the definition or the compass without the map. That's the three to five year goal. That's where I'm going. But then what you're going to need to do, Zach, is you're going to need to break that goal back in time. So you have to be able to say to yourself, what do I need to accomplish each year to get to that five year goal? Right? So I started with an eight year goal or a 10 year goal until I was going to retire and had a very specific plan on where I had to be by that date. It's now become an eight-year goal, and that's four years away. And how I started was I broke that all the way back to, okay, what do I need to do by year to get there in 10 years? And then taking that year and say, saying, how do I break that year down by quarter? How do I break those quarters down by months? How do I break those months down by weeks? How do I break those weeks down into days so that I know what I need to do on a daily basis behaviorally so that at the end of the year, I've achieved my yearly goal. And so that at the end of five years, I've achieved my five-year goal. So start with that end goal, vivid vision of where you're going to go, and then break it all the way back to what do you need to do today to get there? Lauren, over to you. Yeah, what I was going to say was the goals need to be things that you have control over too. So you can have a goal of, I'm going to have $3 million of net worth, and then I'm going to retire. But you aren't particularly in control over what the real estate market or the stock market or definitely not what crypto is doing, right? So you can have a goal of net worth, but really what it needs to break down is, I'm going to save X amount of dollars per month. I'm going to put it in BTI. Or I know um, a lot of real estate investors, they go, I'm going to buy one property per year. Right. And that's like what, what Clint's talking about, too. But it also needs to be things that you have control over versus like I want to get ads on my podcast. Some of that is do people want to sponsor my podcast? So I've broken that down into I'm going to record all of these spaces, edit them, post them. I'm going to have episodes that I do myself. Right. And I'm going to network on Twitter. I'm going to do other things that I'm going to get join other podcasts and things like that. And that's the tactical things that I'm going to do. And I'm going to make a list. I make a to-do list every Thursday or Friday, depending on when I have some downtime for the following week. And it says things like, like it says, 
prep for my space on Tuesday, join my space on Tuesday, prep for Wednesday space, join Wednesday space, record this podcast for this other person, post an adulting is easy blog. Like I'm reading it right now. And that's what it says for the week. And then I do it. So I do it week by week. I don't do as good of a job, Clint, as I should do of looking at the overall big picture, putting my uh, to do's into categories and kind of figuring it out that way. I don't take a step back enough. I don't think some of that I'll give myself a little bit of a pass because I've been nose to the grindstone with the real estate for the last two years and I'm, I'm good there for a little bit, I think. So I can definitely take a breather and take a look at the bigger picture as well. Thanks. No, that's helpful. Thank you all. That's very helpful. Thanks for the question, Zach. Matt, you had a question, my friend. Hey, can you guys hear me okay? We can. All right, perfect. I'm out walking my dog in the rain, so I was getting all jealous when I was hearing sunscreen and sunshine, and so <laughs> I was just envious of that. But uh, hey, first off, I wanted to just thank you guys for hosting this space. What a privilege to be able to be here with you guys and ask some, ask some questions to people who have such financial experience, so thanks for that. Um, my question is, uh, I am in a position where I don't have any prop. Well, I don't have any uh, rental property. Like I'm not renting any houses out. I'm interested in starting that in pursuing that where I am right now is I currently have a, I have about a hundred thousand dollars in, in equity in a house that I bought and then just put as much money as I could possibly put into it to um, essentially just build up equity. Right. So I had something to work with. So my fear is I'm not so sure how much time, like what the time commitment is for renting out properties. Cause I know it's not something that's going to be, you know, just something that you do and then just forget about. It's going to something that you have to obviously commit to and have, you know, a ready, like a, a pretty good amount of connections and an ability to, you know, uh, fix the property if it goes down or, you know, pursue people that don't pay things like this. So my fear is just around having enough time to manage the properly, the property properly, because it's not necessarily my, like my passion isn't around real estate, but I do know the immense benefits of having real estate that you can rent out and the security that it can provide. And so for me, my obsession is um, content. And I've been building a content brand for um, probably like 10 years. And my interest right now is in, um, I'm in the process of essentially putting together like, you know, uh, digital products that could be sold online and then doing coaching online. Cause that's where my real passion is. My real passion is in coaching and in, you know, things like that. So um, that's what I'm particularly focused on right now. And again, like I said, I'm a little torn. Uh, I know, like I said, I could, like, if it was up to me, I would pretty much just double down on the content and then just the digital work and like coming up with the products. However, with the equity I've built, you know, I'm kind of interested in having something that kind of just has income on the side because I know the benefits of it. So I guess that's my question. Like, you know, what the uh, time investment would be for real estate because I've never rented out property before. And um, yeah, that, I guess if that makes sense. Yeah, we'll all have a different answer. Lauren, you go first. Yeah, I just wanted to make a quick comment. Um, something that my husband and I did was we renovated, and I'm going somewhere with this, I promise. We renovated this 120-year-old home, and we put six figures into it, right? And then we found another property that we wanted, and we're like, let's move in there, and let's rent this house out. And actually, let's put them both on Airbnb so we can spend time wherever we want. And our family was like, what if you hate it? I was like, then we'll undo it. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> then I'll move back in. 
or I'll sell the other one or whatever it is, right? So I guess some ways to kind of think about assuaging some of the fear is you can probably undo things if like if you're super miserable managing a property, first of all, you can ditch the property or you can get a property manager or you can just be really bad at managing it, right? I mean, you know, so that was just what I was going to add to that is, you know, don't be afraid to try things because you there's very little in life so far for me that you can't that you can't undo um, in terms of like the actual time that is needed to manage and things like that. That's a great question for Tom. <laughs> so it takes time, but there are ways to do it with a nine to five. And if you put a management company in place, as many, many people do, it really doesn't take that much time. I'm, I'm sorry. I didn't answer the question exactly. No, that was fine. That That's a thing too, that I've noticed. I have still four, long-term rentals and I am managing them myself right now it's like I don't even know like an hour or two a month like in total it's really I, I don't know it's not that time consuming for me I don't go pick up the rent or anything and a lot of times if something breaks I call somebody and they go there so it's not it, really it's not that time intensive the time intensive stuff I do is on the short-term rental side but you know it's it's, it's not that it's not that much to me and again if you really don't like it you can undo it. What I like about real estate is the leverage, right? You can put some amount of dollars down, say, you know, $20,000 down and gain control of an asset that's worth 200, right? I think that's pretty cool. And something that whether that's, you know, I guess some businesses you can get loans for, but if you're starting a business, you're not probably not going to get a loan, you're going to kind of bootstrap that and it's not, you know, it's not leveraged, right? So that's something that I like about real estate. Yeah, I think what I would add to what you're saying, Lauren, and what I think is a combo of what you're both saying is, Matt, you put as much time into it as you want, right? The I'll throw a couple examples at you. If you want to put no time into it, which is pretty much where I am with, with the uh, real estate that we own, is uh, external property manager on almost all of it, right? So they do everything. The On our basement suite, we manage the tenant, but we don't manage the lease up if a tenant moves out. So our property manager will handle the lease up for us. We'll pay him a fee and then we manage it thereafter. But on all the other properties we own, completely outsource it. What you could do is you could manage the lease up, you could manage the tenant, but you outsource the handyman work or the handy person work, right? You have a contractor that you work with. So however much of the process you don't want to do, you can outsource. Like we had someone come in our office yesterday and it was the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen. Like they're at the point where they're offering a service to real estate developers where you tell them what sort of asset you want to buy what sort of equity you have available, what sort of partner you want, GPLP structure, and they'll go out and find all that for you, right? So if you're a young development shop, you're like, hey, we've got X million to work with. They'll be like, all right, we know who you are. We know your track record. We'll go find a partner for you. We'll track down assets for you and put that all together and you be the sponsor because we believe in your track record, right? So when you look at it that way, you can put as little or as much time as you want 
You just have to figure out what are the pieces and how do I manage my time by outsourcing the various things I do or don't want to do. Does that help you with your question? Yeah, definitely. And uh, if you guys were going to rent out a property, what are your feelings on renting out to friends versus renting it out to not friends? Because I've heard mixed answers for both of those. Uh, I'd like to I'd like to vote not friends. If, yeah. If, if there's a poll, yeah, not friends. Yeah, like holy crow. Uh, I would not want a friend nor a family member uh, in our home. You know, my my mom, when our basement suite, someone moved out, my mom was going to come work in the city uh, and was like, hey, can we rent your basement suite? And I was like, yeah, sure, you know, like, you're my mom, so, you know, I'll give you a good deal. And then, like, the week before she was supposed to move in, decided, oh, I'm not going to move in, right? And, you know, what are you going to do? It's your mom, but that's two grand out of my jeans. Right. So, you know, I, I think she offered to pay and I was like, you're my mom. Like, I'm not going to make you pay if me rent, rent if, for not being it, here. If it's yeah. your mom, like you, you can't charge rent on your mom. Like that's no. ridiculous. No, right. So I, I let her off, but I gave her a stern warning on next time she wanted the space. Do we have anyone else in the audience that has a question? Steve, you had something on your mind. Well, no, I just, I, I wanted to, Matt, you had a question about the, the online content and coaching and versus real estate. And I just wanted to congratulate you on doing, I want to kind of go the other direction. I want to congratulate you on doing the online content and the coaching because there, if it connects and it takes off, you can make a tremendous amount of money with that. There was an article, I think it was on CNN.com yesterday about a guy who's making 160 grand a month passive income off of his coaching and content that he's creating. It took him a long time for it to snowball and then take off. But if you're passionate about it and you're bringing real value to people, and I'm not saying you're not, I'm just saying if, if you do, you can make an incredible amount of money and uh, the, the story is out there. So if you're passionate about it, man, go for it. There's a, there's a tremendous future there for you. If you have access to that uh, article or, or uh, if it's a YouTube video, can you fire that through to me, buddy? Because that's what I want to do in my future. And that sounds okay, sure. like really... Let me, uh, just give me five minutes. I'll, do I'm going to tweet it and push, put it in the nest? Yeah, yeah that, that would be nest. great. I was just going to ask the same thing. Perfect. Yeah, just, I, I might be silent for five minutes as I go looking for it. Yeah, no worries. So for the people that are in the audience that haven't had a chance to jump up, you may be new, you may be wondering what's going on. We shared some actionable advice that people could take to help them grow their wealth and become millionaires. Uh, Stephen, Tom, Lauren, and I have been blessed enough to be able to do that. Uh, Lauren and Tom both at the age of 31. Steve, when he was 39. I did it when I was 35. Uh, after a late start. And so we, we believe, I think, that anyone who's earning a, an average or above average income should be able to get here in the fullness of time if they're doing certain things. So we talked about actionable advice, strategic, tactical mindset. And now what we're doing is inviting people up uh, to ask questions, to share what's going on in your life, uh, and ask questions so that we can help more people get into this situation. We have 15 minutes left of the Q&A portion of the show. So please, if you have questions on investing and growing your net worth, 
request the mic and we'll get you uh, up here. Okay, so the first person we have is, uh, we have some people connecting. The, uh, we're gonna go to our next speaker, which is Stu Magoo. Can you fire away, Stu? Hey guys, um, I just wanted to see if you guys would touch on student loans, especially with what's happened the last couple of days. Like what would you do um, to someone who is looking to get into the real estate stuff. Cause like a debt to income ratio is a big factor in just qualifying for that. Um, so I wanted to kind of just get your guys' take with stuff like that. And Stu, are you, are you in America? Yeah. So I live in Maine. Okay. So Lauren, Tom, you, you probably have a, a much better understanding of sort of that American student debt situation than, than Steve or I would. It's a lot cheaper to get your education up here. Yeah, well, don't forget. Don't forget the tax rate, Lauren, 53%. I know, I know. Free health insurance, I know, I know. Um, (laughs) Hi, Sue. Um, So my understanding is very rudimentary here, but I believe the debt-to-income ratio, it's, when it comes to student loans, I don't think it counts against you as harshly as other kinds of debt. Like, I don't think it's a one-for-one with a a credit card debt or, or something like that. Um, so of course, like talk to a lender and see how much it's affecting you. I mean, a cousin of mine who is 28 bought a house like a year and a half ago. And I know he has, you know, like, I think it's 300, $400 a month, something like that student loan payment. So, um, you know, he was still able to get approved and then, you know, he has his, his girlfriend living with him. So they're both easily able to kind of cover everything. And kind of the weird thing is, you know, they're paying about a hundred dollars more than they were paying in rent. Right. So, imagine not getting approved for something you're basically already paying, which is, I think, very backwards about how getting approved for a loan works. But um, so I don't think it counts totally against you. I would definitely talk to a lender and see what they say. In terms of what to do between now and September 1st, you have two options, right? You could pay down your student loans, like as much as possible so that you have less interest going forward, or you could kind of take the money you would pay to student loans and be saving it for a down payment on a place. Would you say that that's accurate, Stu? Yeah, I mean, that. so my main thing basically is just looking back at the fact that now, you know, you've got two years of technically like in good standing payments. So I just wanted to see like what, you know, because there's different routes. There's people who hadn't paid before that you know, who now have two years on the books of good payments, right? Or you have the other hand who were paying prior to and now have racked up, I don't know, let's say, you know, like four or five years of good payments. Okay, okay, gotcha. Yeah, well, I mean, in terms of like your length of credit history too, um, I'm sure the student loans affect your credit and things like that. The best thing that you can do, truly, truly, I know I, I just keep saying this and it sounds like I'm pawning you off on somebody else, but the lenders are going to know the ins and outs of credit scores, um, student loan payments, other types of debt that you have, income, and how that all kind of fits together for a picture of what you could, quote unquote, get approved for. Now, we could debate whether you should buy just because you are approved for something. You have to kind of do a gut check with yourself of what is actually reasonable. What can you truly afford every month? Because it may not be what they're saying you can afford. Now, if you use the approach that Tom was talking about or that I have used a couple of times in my life, which is house hacking, if you buy a place, even if the the lender is not assuming you're going to have rent 
rental income. You could have some rental income by renting out to roommates or things like that and definitely be able to make the payments. So um, sorry to sound like I'm kind of pushing you off there, but uh, lenders would be, I'm sure, more than happy to talk to you about kind of what your current situation is and what you could feasibly afford. I just want to piggyback on what Lauren was sharing. I cannot really speak on student loans and circumstances, but I was I was working with a client and her score was stuck in the low 600s. Um, and we really wanted to get her over 700 to get her approved for this home loan. And what we did was she had four student loans that were on pause and not being paid for. And as a compromise, we paid $50 to each month on three of them. And then we paid um, a hundred on the other. So she was paying about two fifty a month, but her doing that for four months um, jumped her score from the low 600s to the, um, I, I think when we got her finance, she was at 705. So that may be an option as well. So you're not paying full payments, but you're still making payments, even though they're paused. Um, but lenders are seeing that there is a decrease in debt and that moved her enough. So that was just one of the strategies we use. She, she now owns a home and was able to do that because we moved her score enough by making those tiny payments to see that there was effort on her, on her part. Awesome. Well, thanks, guys. We have a question from Drahilian. I may have, or maybe Dr. Ahelian, but uh, you know who you are, so... Trahelion is um, close enough. It's just a uh, random moniker I've come up with. Anyways, uh, yes. So myself and my wife are, uh, we're, we're 33. Um, we've made some some good steps uh, towards, towards some good financial goals. Um, but my, my question is going to, I think, kind of focus around uh, mentally coming back from setbacks, I guess. Um, I think uh, all, all would be aware of uh, very volatile markets through 2020 and 2021. Um, and as uh, Stephen's certainly aware, there's, you know, wild moves happened in crypto. You know, I had made some investments there that had gone up quite a lot. And then, you know, kind of there being new to individual asset investing, I had done mostly index fund investing. Um, some of those came down quite a lot too. And kind of as those, they're coming down quite a lot, uh, my, my wife and I learned that we are expecting our first child. And I've, I've really been struggling mentally and, and you know, fi financially we are, uh, we are very comfortable, but uh, had I maybe had a bit better profit taking plan when some of these crypto assets were really skyrocketing, we would be more well off. And I've really been, I've, I've wrestled with feeling a lot of guilt of uh, just feeling like I was too greedy with not taking profits. And like, I've, I've felt that again, like we, we can still afford everything we'll need for our child and all those things. But like, I, I've just felt like I, I've really been like grappling with the thought of, uh, you know, I I've, could have done better and I'd kind of feel just guilt around that and we'll be fine moving forward, but it just could have been a lot better. And I uh, just dealing with that, I guess, and moving forward. Yeah. The, 
you know, I'm going to, I'm going to throw at you. Cause when, when I joined Lauren on her podcast, Lauren was like, Hey, you know, we always talk about wins with guests, but what I really want to focus on with you is all the times you got kicked in the uh, gonads. And it was like, Oh yeah, sure. That sounds like a great idea. Let's just uh, revisit every time I, every time I effed up. But I think one of the keys, my friend, is you you are young, right? You're starting a family. Sure, it, you know, every once in a while, I think, what if I just sold 75% of my Bitcoin when it was at 68000 How different would life be today? And you're not alone in that. And it's not a short-term decision you're making. And this game we're playing is not a short-term game. So you'll often be thinking, my gosh, I'll never make up for that loss that I had. I'll never make up for that mistake that I had. And I can tell you that at your age, I'd already made uh, one big mistake, right? That had, I thought cost me everything. I thought my family was devastated and I'd effed us and I would never make it back. We made it back. And then there was another big mistake and I thought it was all over and we'd never make it back. We made it back, and then there was the biggest, biggest loss of them all, right? 25% of our net worth wiped out because I made a stupid decision. Thought I'd never make it back. We made it back, and we're two, two and a half X ahead of where we were before that loss. Maybe a bit more. So, you know, you're always going to doubt yourself. You're always going to think you, you can't make up for a mistake you made. And you can, because it's so early in this process, right? I made it at 35, Steve made it at 39, Lauren and Tom made it pretty early, but we made it later. And I can say that most of my journey started around your age, right? So the fact that you're thinking about this, the fact that you had already started, the fact that you took the steps, you're ahead of 90% of people at your age. So try not to focus too much on what you did wrong. Focus on figuring out, you know, this is why the number one book I always recommend is Feeling Good, The New Mood Therapy, because it shuts off that effing voice, right? You don't need to keep telling yourself in your mind that you failed or you screwed up because it's not reality. Reality is the market moved on you when you had a specific long-term view that it would go a certain way, it went the other way. And you're going to make up for that in the fullness of time. So the only thing that I would say is change the mindset to instead of worrying about the past, focus on how you're going to kill it in the future. Steve, over to you, brother. Yeah, no, I just wanted to, sh- so, uh, Dre Hillian, sorry, I'm probably butchering that. Let me share with you this. I'm looking at my, crypto portfolio so on november 8th my crypto portfolio which consists of ethereum and bitcoin and some solana as well so i don't know if that's like what you had or what you have but it was worth on november 8th i'm looking at the chart right here is worth four hundred and thirty three thousand dollars. and then on january 25th it is worth 240 i lost two hundred thousand dollars in like, what is that? Not even, I guess just a little more than two months. I haven't sold a thing. I keep on holding, I keep on mining, I keep on building. And it's back up to 319 today. 
just crypto is volatile as insert word it is volatile it that it's part of the feature that comes with it because it's completely unregulated and it trades 24 seven. It's the price we have to pay. Now I, I don't know your situation. So I, I feel like I'm almost kind of pandering or like, but just so you know, I as well lost a lot of money in terms of the worth of the crypto digital assets. Uh, but it like Clint is saying, we're in this for the long-term game by 2030 2025 even the next halving for bitcoin uh the crypto assets should do tremendous and uh you you should recover your losses uh i have no you know stuff like that's hard to talk with my wife about that right because she kind of says you you know why didn't you sell I get and that. Yeah, I, I can't. I, I, I just it's it's difficult to explain to her because I just want to say like, no, I, I know these scarce assets will do tremendous into the future. It's always going to be rocky, but uh, they will do well. And I, I, you didn't disclose what you had for a portfolio on that, so I don't know if you had some coins that went completely under and went under the table and went to zero. So that's very different because it was worth something and then it went to zero. I don't know if you're talking Ohm or Strong or some of these DeFi tokens that were having really high yield and stuff like that, but uh, the core blue chip crypto assets, they have a tremendous use case in front of them that businesses are going to use, like Visa, MasterCard, Microsoft, Apple. They will want to use them. Like Microsoft is going to use Ethereum for proof of I feel like I'm doing an advertising for crypto assets and stuff. Yeah. I just want to say, I just want to share with you that I feel your pain. I feel like I've taken it hard on the chin on the last two months and stuff. So I just want to share with you that you're not alone. I have taken it hard as well too. Yeah. And, thing. Yeah. And, and I guess uh, I learned, I, I, I've been in crypto since 2017, but like basically I'd made some initial purchases and just kind of held it for a while. So, and mainly focused on Bitcoin and Ethereum, had some link. And actually, I'd moved out of Link just like more into Ethereum mid-2021. So overall, had gone pretty well. But uh, I guess elaborating or, or part of what, um, I guess, ate at me was I was, ke- I was keeping a cash position appropriate for, uh, you know, a young, I guess, a young married couple with no, like our only debts are mortgage. So, you know, our, our pretty fixed living expenses, our emergency fund didn't have to be huge because we didn't have huge debts. And then kind of around the same time that crypto, you know, crypto, NASDAQ, everything, you know, we're young. A lot of our stock investments are also in tech and stuff like that. Uh, all, as all that's doing the nosedive, I find out we're expecting and I and I know I'm like okay we need to have a larger cash position especially because you know there's recession fears here inflation skyrocketing all of these all of our you know risk assets have done well for us but they're all in nosedive so I did raise some cash in a pretty non-ideal spot there for crypto uh, some of my Bitcoin some of my Ethereum some of that stuff so that's that's part of it but it, again I've I kept. A decent amount of it and it's come the rest of that's come back up but i've just 
you know, had that thought, oh, how many, you know, how many months of daycare and stuff could I've, I've paid for, uh, you know, months, years of daycare could I have paid for if I had just cashed out in November when things were euphoric instead of in January when, oh, there's a kid coming now and you got to, you didn't do a good enough job taking profits earlier. So I, just, I don't know. I hear yeah. you, man. Um, sorry, I just, I feel you. I went through very similar situations in 08, in 14, and then in 2020. And then four, 14, you're probably thinking, what are you talking about? That, um, that was when Saudi Arabia did the uh, oil oil crash, and I live in an oil and gas town, and we went through some hard times there, too. Uh, I just want to repeat what Clint said earlier. Um, it'll recover. Things will get better. And uh, just stay the course. Stay your plan. Stay, stick to your goal that you had. Um, don't deviate too much. But just don't give up. Don't give up, man. You'll you'll regret giving up more later on. Um, Thank you. It, it'll it'll come around. It will. Like this stuff has a way of playing out. I've taken it hard on crypto. I've taken it hard on growth assets of late. Uh, and I just prior experience teaches me that just it'll come around again. Just stay the course. The losers are the ones that get fearful at this point and sell out. Now, I know you said you sold some because you had to, with, you know, you wanted to raise some cash position, and that might be the best decision for you right now, given you know, when it coming on the way and stuff. But uh, just, I know it sucks. I've been, I've been where you're at, where in terms of like, you, you feel like you just got kicked in the nuts. Yep. It'll come around, man. You, it'll, it'll work out. Just, just hold to it. Yeah. We're in the, we're in the spot where we can just hold on now but it's just yeah i just have racked myself you're always going to do that with yeah. bitcoin i'm down 350 to 400,000 in the last you know 3 months like that's that's life right you can either sell it or you can just hold it like i sold 20% of it and put it into miners so i can leave her on the way back up i mean you you got to have your approach right and if you believe in it you believe in it the we are going to wrap the space up so i'm going to lauren and tom you have your hands up so you get final thoughts and then we're going to wrap up on uh, well we're five minutes over but pretty much on time tonight because i want to go have some brekkie i just wanted to add too that i look at things the opposite way as well the alternative to not being invested in stocks and crypto is to what only have cash and that's the literal worst thing you can do Right. So, you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't beat yourself up that the, the market went up and then it went down. That's that's just what the market does. You're about to have a baby, but you're not about to retire. Right. So investing is it's a must. It's an absolute must one way or another, especially in an inflationary environment, because if you had everything in cash last year to this year, it would have gone down eight percent. And what is the S&P down right now? Six. I don't even know. I haven't checked. But you know what I mean? Like, it's just. Remember, the, if the alternative to investing is cash, investing wins every single time except maybe the year before retirement. That's all I had, Clint. Love it. Thank you. And Tom, finish us off before we wrap things up. I just, I just want to share uh, two real quick stories. I, um, I've sold properties and traded up along the way to get ahead, not necessarily because I didn't need the properties, but just, you know, I've turned condos into multifamily properties. And um, in 20, um, 
19, one of my properties that I sold in 2013 came back up for sale and I sold it for 57,000 and it looked like they didn't do anything to it. And that baby sold for 105,000 and that kind of irked me and I sat with it. And then earlier this year um, in 2022, a, a townhouse that I sold for 195,000 um, came up for sale and it was a very similar situation where they did nothing to the property. They listed it for sale for 300,000. So a hundred thousand dollars in five in the five years since I sold it. And it ended up selling for 356. And I could sit here annoyed all day that they ended up with 161,000 and they did not update anything that I did to it when I purchased it. Or I could look at all the assets that I've bought with it and how much I've been able to grow them. I just want to, on that note, I just want to wrap with, um, I believe there are tons of opportunities out there to build wealth. And everyone on this panel has built wealth in a different way. Um, a lot of us have done the real estate deal, but there are, I know a million dollar employee that works, or a millionaire who works at Taco Bell as a as a general manager. There's so many different ways to build wealth. You just have to invest your money and get creative with it. We are here every single Wednesday um, talking about wealth building, talking about real estate, talking about all kinds of how to get you to that next level. We always do questions and answers at the end, and we appreciate every single one of you. If you guys are not already doing so, please follow us, and please join us again next Wednesday. Thank you, Tom. Great last, uh, great last way to wrap it up. We're here every Wednesday. We're all committed to the purpose of wealth Wednesday being to help you all achieve what we already have, right? We're already here. We're going to keep growing. Tom asked when enough was enough. Uh, I'm writing in my day planner 15 times every day that I want to be a billionaire by a certain age. Uh, I heard uh, that the creator of Dilbert did that, wrote what he was going to do to uh, grow his wealth. And uh, he wrote it 15 times a day for a certain period of time. And then it happened. So uh, I'm writing, I'm going to be a billionaire every day. So uh, Tom, enough's enough when you want it to be enough, brother. And hope that you all figure out what enough is enough for you. You set the goals, you do the work, and you are as successful as you can be. Thanks, everyone. Have a great night.